Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all again. I was here two years ago uh, in October, and um, I am a little older. I don't know about you. But I'm glad to be here again. Thank you, Pastor Dan, for the opportunity. Uh, thank you, uh, fellas, with the technology and the music. That was wonderful. Uh, thank you, Michelle, for putting the yellow bulletin insert in your bulletin. So if you'll get that out, you'll get more bang for your buck, I hope, this morning. Uh, it's a, sort of the outline, or just sort of a way to take some notes. I'm going to throw a lot of information at you this morning. As Dan said, I have an educator's mind. I just can't help that. Um, I'll try not to be too much of an Italian and use my hands as I talk, but I will uh, grip the pulpit tightly. Okay, so um, as, um, as Dan said, I have the privilege of serving the denomination of 68 churches uh, to uh, direct the missions program. We have 120 missionaries that you all support. You guys support Bill Early, Chris Merrick, Chris and Becky. You support David, uh, you support the Riddells. I just had breakfast with Dave Riddell yesterday. So I keep up with the missionaries that way. You support Amy Sant, the Shelleys, the Secure Glues, the Student Roths, and the Zikanovis. Thank you so much for that support of the 120. Uh, they labor in 27 countries in 12 different states through 32 agencies. And I'm done. That's it. I'm going home. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but uh, I just want to say it's, uh, it's just a privilege to be in this spot. I just love meeting the missionaries, love seeing what they're doing, and I hope to relate some of that to you this morning. Um, Let's, let's go with uh, our PowerPoint presentation. There we go. All right, let's see. if it's, I point to you guys, right? Yep. Oh, it worked. Wonderful. You know, sometimes uh, I was at a church recently that had a, a laptop running Windows 6. It still worked. <laughs> it still worked. All right. Uh, I've got some questions here. I might as well start with a quiz, right? Let's start with a quiz. Get your interest. Here's your educator's heart, okay? Here's some questions. Why does the earth exist? Is that a, how about a small question to start off things, right? Why does the earth exist? Well, the scriptures actually tell us, right? They do, but we'll get into that. Um, is there, if there's a history channel in heaven, what would be on it? Some scriptures there that you can look at. Uh, when does the redemption of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language begin? What does it mean that the gospel is a mystery? If you were paying attention this morning, if there's just those little bit of scriptures, mystery was mentioned five times. Maybe it'll still be a mystery when I'm done. I hope not. I'll give back the honorarium. Um, well, how can we participate in the process of all nations believing and obeying the gospel and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth as Jesus, when he commissioned his disciples, that's what he said. All right, well, we're actually going to go with question four for the most part, and you'll see how the other questions get answered as we try to answer question four, which is, what does it mean that the gospel is a mystery, all right? Um, here we go. Mystery in Scripture is mentioned 31 times. Paul uses it 21 times. The common ideas of the day, if you were in Paul's day, it's something weird, it's something strange, unexplainable, dark, and you should avoid it. In the first century, it also was something known to the initiated. There were mystery religions, secret societies as they were. It gave you the power over other people because you were part of that inside group. The biblical meaning, though, is, as you, as you saw, something God has not previously made clear, but reveals in his time and manner. And there are actually 12 different types of mysteries in Scripture. I want to talk about the grand mystery. That's my title for it, which is what we read this morning. The idea that was unknown to men and even to angels. This is interesting that Scripture said that, that God's plan was to bring 
reconciliation with himself, not only to the Jews, but to all the families of the earth. In fact, that's the word when he said it to Abraham. We brought Abraham out of his land of Ur and brought him into the land of Canaan. He said, I will bless you and I'll make you a blessing to all the families. And that's the word in the Hebrew, mishpaha, which means family. It means a small little group of people. Not countries. People see about going to the nations. The scriptures never use mission in relationship to countries, political entities. It's always about some other kind of definition, which we'll get into in a little bit. All right, so even down to the small groups of families, clans as you were, as it means in the Hebrew, that's the grand mystery. And what we're going to talk about today is how God gave, made that happen through history. So I have a question. So the resurrection of Jesus, is that a religious idea or a historical truth? It's a historical truth, right. Okay, that's important to remember, because we're not going to be talking about religion this morning. We're talking about history and God's people who, obey, who followed through on what God wanted them to do. In order to do this, I thought, well, look at, look at this through four lenses. This is not my idea. I'm not that smart. We're going to look at it through these lenses of four different perspectives. This is actually a course you can take. Uh, our Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church has sponsored it on occasion. It's, uh, it's 15 sessions, uh, and, it, uh, and, and it involves these four perspectives. A quarter of a million people have taken this course. Uh, you're going to get it for free this morning. So it's uh, anyway. Uh, <clears throat> so we're going we're gonna to look at this, this idea of getting this mystery unfolding through history is what we're looking at this morning. The mystery of bringing the Gentiles into one body with God's reconciled people with the Jew, Jewish nation. All right, so let's go to this first one, all right? The biblical one. Why are we called to this? Why are we called to this? All right, the gospel should be defined and understood through the entire story of the Bible. Everybody say entire. Okay, not just, see everybody, entire, got it? All right, make the connection. Not just a few verses. Often this is termed the meta-narrative of Scripture. How many of you have ever heard that term, meta-narrative? Right, if you've gone to college within the last 30 years, you, one thing you've been hearing is this. There is no meta-narrative in this world. There are only personal narratives. Well, that goes right against what Scripture says, that there is a God who created all things, right? And he has a plan that's linear through history. But you've been taught, no, no, they're just personal ones. Well, if that's the case, that probably, and that, that explains why over the last 30 years, 40 million people have become de-churched. We're in a serious decline in these days. And that may be one explanation. Nobody knows there's a connection to the universe, to, to God, to creation. Everybody's struggling to find their own. And no wonder we, we have such problems among youth today. Because they'd have, they're disconnected because they don't know there's a meta-narrative to be connected to. In recent times, it's become popular to reduce the gospel to a short presentation one shares face-to-face. And while this kind of gospel definition is helpful for evangelism, it does not give a complete picture of God's work and redeeming creation for his glory. That's the deepest motivation possible for any Christian, is to live for the glory of God. All right, so let's, let's keep going. And I will put hostility, you know this, about the fall of man believing the lies of the enemy, and God gives his promise after they believed, I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. This is God speaking to the Satan. And her offspring will attack your head, and you will attack her offspring's heel. Again, 
If there is no creation and no fall into sin, then would there be a gospel? Would there be a gospel? The answer is no. So once again, we have to be people who say, not just a quick little presentation of the gospel, we have to say to people, you know, this thing is connected all the way back to the beginning of time. Remember what we read, right? God's eternal purpose before what? Before there was even an earth. That's, how, that's what missions is connected to. And this, is, again, is a contrast to all other views of history, especially even in Paul's time when he was writing. Because in the Greeks, they often looked at history as nothing. There's no really rhyme or reason to it. And still today, for 5,000 years, and still today in Hinduism and Buddhism, etc., the history is a repeating cycle, meaningless. But the gospel, the Bible says there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And we get to participate in that grand plan. And the mystery being revealed is it was only for the Jews for a while, but now the messengers of the grand plan are the Gentiles as God brings them into his, his people, makes, makes, makes them part of his people. Okay. Now, a number of people think that Israel's role in their day was to just go into the land, sit down, and behave. That when God called them, he said, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. This is Exodus 19, and that's the chapter before Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments. So there was a reason why they had Ten Commandments. It was so they could be representatives of who God is to all the nations around them. What does a priest do, especially understood in that day? You have God, you have people, and you have a priest in between. And the whole nation was a kingdom of priests so that the nations around Israel could look at Israel and say, who is your God? And there are hints of this all through the Old Testament if you're willing to look at it. How well did they do with that? Not very well, did they? You see, that's, and that again explains why we so often fall into sin and idolatry, etc. There's the Israelites, because we forget we have a mission. We lose that vision, we lose that connection to the meta narrative. That's what Scripture tells us. So, all right, so, um, and you see it in the Psalms. It's just um, a number of times in the Psalm, David is talking about, he'll even talk about, in Psalm 86 is amazing. It's a very up-to-date Psalm, Psalm 86. He talks all about the personal pain that he is in. Very much a contemporary song, right? A lot of songs are about personal pain. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of good music comes out of personal pain. And so he's talking in Psalm 86 about his personal pain, but then he also says, but you're going, your glory is above the earth and all the nations will come and serve you. So he doesn't disconnect what's happening in his life to God's meta-narrative. Does that make sense? There's got to be a way that we always find our way back to connection instead of getting so isolated just in our personal pain. There's no, there's no pain without purpose. All right, well, that's, I, I don't have a lot of time to go into all the Old Testament things, um, so let's come up to Jesus' arrival. And up until this time, the nations were supposed to come and see who God is by coming to see Israel. Now God sends his son, and he sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. And when Jesus comes, and he makes all the heroes in his stories the enemies. Don't you like that, right? The good Samaritan. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan in Israel's day, Jesus' day. But that's what he does. Um, how did Israel become so blind 
that especially the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the expository preachers of their day, how did it happen that they could completely miss God showing up in the flesh? That's an important question because if it could happen to them, can it happen to us? What do you think? We could completely... And one of the reasons is they completely forgot, the, the teachers of the day, that Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. Life was not all about the great Israelite dream. And in fact, if you can receive this, I might get some people upset. Right? But in Acts chapter 1, after the, the cross, after Jesus spent three years with these men day in and day out, right, the disciples, and then the cross, and then the resurrection, and 40 days, it says in Acts chapter 1, Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of God. And the first question out of the disciples' mouths is, are you going to make Israel great again? That's their question. I don't know about you, I would have given up. <laughs> What have I been doing with you guys? And so what does he say? What does he say? And I'll come back to this slide, all right? This is what he has to say to these guys. He, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with, still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, so that covers the whole Old Testament, must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to his name where? All nations, beginning from Jerusalem. What Jesus is saying is, if you understood, guys, the Old Testament and its main theme, you would know why I'm going to be asking you to take the gospel to the nations. Well, it could happen to us. And that's, here's, I will come, like I said, I'll come back to this slide. Do you remember when Jesus threw the money changers out of the temple area? Okay, you see where the circle is? That's the area the money changers were in. It's called the court of the Gentiles. That was by God's design. Why is there a court of the Gentiles? Well, Jesus, when he, when he overturned the money changers, he said, it is written, my house shall be called the house of Prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. But what, it doesn't mean that you would come as a Jew and pray for the nations. That area was reserved for the nations to come and pray and seek God. And look what they did with it. They basically said God is not a welcoming God. He doesn't want the Gentiles to know him. And you know who was actually in charge of that money racket at that time? The high priest's family. You talk about corruption? <laughs> but they were the leaders of the day. All right. Well, as we've seen, why are we to do this? Because it's been, it's been in creation, it's designed from the beginning of creation, getting the gospel to all the Gentiles. It's been there. It's only been hinted at in the Old Testament, but it was there. And if the theologians of the day had been paying attention to the intention of Scripture, the people would have been ready. But they were not because the theologians were not ready for it. They weren't paying attention. All right. So let's move on now to the historical. What has been done so far, right? Okay. And again, we're just going to go real quickly through this because don't have a lot of time. But Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of 
All nations, not countries. Everybody say not countries. Good. (laughs) Got to make that clear, all right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, which is the area the Jews despised, and to the farthest parts of the earth. You all probably are aware of this, okay? Now, I'm going to summarize 2,000 years of church history in two minutes. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But there are people who have done that. Here's two books that I highly recommend from Jerusalem, right, to Eri and Jai, which is in Indonesia. Excellent book, 99 short biographies. Some only half a page, some three or four pages. If you're looking for really good materials, you know, beyond, you know, one, two, buck on my shoe, I'm a better Christian, how about you? If you're looking for something better than that, I would recommend, which is what we did when our kids were young. We read them stories out of this book, From Jerusalem to Eri and Jaya. Uh, good for Christian schools, home schools. I, it's just an excellent book, well-written. Dr. Ruth Tucker, very well-written. And then the other book there, God is at Work, that's a devotional. So it's got one story for, 300 and, for each of the 365 days of the year. Again, mostly missions. And once again, let me go back to what I was saying earlier. If we don't connect our kids to the meta-narrative, why should we surprise if they become de-churched? And this is a way, by reading biography, because that's how God teaches truth. He doesn't teach truth through just empty propositions floating out in the air. He teaches truth because through people, because the scripture says the word became a bulletin board. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. I can't recommend these things highly enough. Okay, real quickly though, uh, one point to make here is that Gospel often follows technology. You have William Carey in the late 1700s going to India by boat. And most missionaries traveled by boat because that was the way you traveled back then. Then you had David Livingston and Hudson Taylor going to the inland areas by train okay, and by other, other, other means. But often the gospel te- te- follows technology. You just put that under your hat for a second, okay? All right, so that brings us up to the present. And up to the present time of about, as you see there, 1900, missions was understood of the West going to the rest. Ah, but our God is so creative. And since that time, he's been doing some really neat things. Eventually, it's been, today it's now from everywhere to everywhere. All right, but up until 1900, it was just the West going to the rest. So let's, let's go then to ask the next question, the next perspective. Why are we called? That was the biblical. What has been done so far? That's the historical, cultural. How to approach the task. All right. Well, there was an incident that happened about 1920. A young man, William Cameron Townsend, was, went to Latin America and to distribute Spanish Bibles. And he was going to the various tribes. And he handed a Spanish Bible to one of the tribesmen who looked at it and said, well, if your God is so smart, how come he doesn't speak my language? And William Cameron Towns is like, well, you know, you got a good question there. <laughs> so, and that got the whole organization of Whitecliffe Bible Translators started. There are now 6,000 Whitecliffe Bible Translators going, working around the world. And there's a lot left to do, uh, as this next slide will show you, this little pie chart here. Um, but we're getting close. That's the neat thing about it. But we're not finished. Any volunteers? Well, you'd be surprised. 
You might have a gift for languages you don't even know yet. But we still need more laborers for the harvest. And Jesus had said to his disciples, pray beggingly for those laborers. That's the word in the Greek. It isn't just a little suggestion. Once in a while when you think about it, pray for laborers. No. It ought to be something we do every time we thank God for the food that we eat. And Lord, please send forward more laborers to the harvest. And we have Bible Fellowship missionaries that are doing this. And some new frontiers now. Do you know there are tens of millions of people around the world who don't read? still. And their main way of communicating is just like this, face-to-face. And so Wycliffe has started a project called the Orality Project, where they're learning to put the ideas of Scripture in a form that uh, is much easier communicated just face-to-face, because a lot of these people will never learn to read. That's just exciting. Everybody, you know, you know, you ought to jump up and shout hallelujah in Hebrew. Oh, that is Hebrew. Okay, that's praise the Lord in Hebrew. Okay, all right. Just seeing if you're still there. Okay, so, and also we have missionaries that are serving in, in the capacity to get the gospel to the ends of the earth through things like uh, aviation, because there's still very remote places in the world that unless somebody actually gets in a plane, a small plane, and takes it there, it's just almost impossible to get it there. It's just so exciting what's happening. And we also have missionaries that are in the Bible Fellowship Church there are deaf and people. There are deaf and blind people. What, how do you communicate the gospel to them? The whole new language has been invented called symbolic universal notation. And it breaks down the concepts of scripture into little symbols that are raised like braille. Or some are not, and, and some are not, brave, not, not raised. But still, again, the idea is here's a group of people that have a need. How do we get the gospel to them? There's some barriers to overcome. How do we overcome those barriers? And so they're inventing languages to do so. Just a quick chart here in regard to uh, that Wycliffe set a goal to get the gospel, the translation as, as much as, the Bible translated as much as possible by 2025. We're, that was a great goal. We're not there yet. But even that means, even if you get this, even a portion of scripture in somebody's language, do you have a church yet? No. So you're supposed to make disciples of all nations, not just translations. Translation is a good start. But we need to make disciples. All right. So we've talked about really uh, the, the, the who needs the gospel, but we need to talk about something else. Back in 1974, missionary Ralph Winter started to realize something. You know, there are probably groups around the world where there's no gospel, and unless someone actually travels over the cultural, language, and geographical barrier to get it there, you can ha- you're, they'll never hear it. And so what he did is he identified this idea of a people group. Remember, everybody say, not countries. Right. To get the nations means groups of people who self, they define themselves to have a common affinity for one another because of their shared language, religion, ethnicity, residence, occupation, class, or caste, situation or combination. What is a people group? The largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. Okay, then the next phase then is to identify the people group within which there is no indigenous or native community of believing Christians able to evangelize that group. 
And there are an estimated 12,000 unreached people groups around the world. Is there work to be done? Any volunteers? Okay. Um, the Joshua Project, Stratus.Earth, UrgentNeeds.org, Radical.net, ViaChurches.org, 1615.org are promoting awareness and prayer for these unreached groups. If you have any interest at all, or maybe the Lord will nudge you to have some interest, there's the greatest possible resources to get, get in touch with what is still remaining to be done. And now let me just give you, a, how many of you were Star Trek fans? Yeah, you know, it was always nice to get a visual, right? I'll give you a visual of what an unreached people group looks like. Now this, this is, you've got countries, right? China, Nepal, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan. But we're not talking about countries. We need to talk about the people groups in these countries who still need to hear the gospel, right? So if you change the map to look like it does in God's eyes, people groups, this is what it looks like. Look at all that. That's what, how Scripture says we should be viewing the world. Here's another visual for you. Okay? Within China, okay, you see that's the yellow, you're going to be looking at this little tiny country called Bhutan. And there's a people group within that little tiny country called Bhutan, called the Lop people. Let's look at their statistics. All right? Do they have the Bible? Nope. What's their population? 3,500. You see, that's pretty small. Who would want to go there? But what does the scripture say to Abraham? All the families. How large is your family? You got 3,500 in it? Any reunions? Uh, you, need, <laughs> you need to rent the civic center for that. Do they have any online New Testament audio? Nope. Uh, do they have a Jesus film? Nope. What's their language? Do they have any audio recordings in it? Nope. Well, they're Buddhists. Do we know of any Christ followers? Really less than 1%. Any volunteers? Anyone willing to pray that God will send forward more laborers? We can do that much. Okay. All right. But what did Jesus say about um, he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? Well, what, does he, what does that mean? Gates in his day meant the, the doors to a city. So what he's saying is, if I wanted to enter that city with the gospel, even if the hell was controlling those gates, it couldn't prevent the gospel getting in. There is a challenge of access because, and this is our strategy now, four out of the five remaining 6,900 unreached people groups live in restricted access countries. 86% of the world's Hindu, Muslims, and Buddhists have never met a Christ follower. And Something has to change because there's a tremendous imbalance in the way we allocate resources. 70% um, of the world's population lives in the 1040 window. I'll show you that in a minute. But only 8% of the world's missionary efforts are directed there. But here's the 1040 window, that box, where 80%, 70% of the world's population live. Think about that. However, you see these numbers? In the last 30 years, this is the number of missionaries going from these countries to that area. You see anybody from America? Okay, that's all right. Because remember we said, we used to look at it as from the west to the rest. Now what is it? From everywhere 
to everywhere. This is the fruit of many sacrificial efforts by missionaries of two or three, four generations ago, is the fact that now Christians from these areas are going to the 1040 window. Even if, we're keep, even if we lose interest, God still is going to make it happen, despite us. Um, all right, a little bit more information here. And there's a great shift happening, friends. There's a tremendous shift happening. Um, and just, to, just what it says off there to the right, there are now approximately as many Christ, Christ followers in China as in the United States. So I'll show you the new face of Christianity. And by 2050, which is only 25 years from now, four-fifths of evangelical Christians are estimated to, estimated to live in the third world. It's not going to be a white man's religion anymore, in one sense. And so those that think it is are going to wonder, well, what happened? <laughs> well, God was moving. He's still sending laborers into the harvest. This is what Christians are going to... These are the new faces of the body of Christ. And... Another, uh, you know, some 40 years ago, you'd see a lot of people preaching against the charismatic and the Pentecostals. Well, uh, there's far less people preaching against it now and far more people in that mode of Christianity. But what's needed? Teachers. There's a lot of people. The gospel is exploding in Latin America and in Africa. It's just exploding. But, you know, like an explosion, it tends to make a mess. (laughs) And we, we need a lot of teachers. You could do that. How many of you own a, a, a study Bible and, and kind of use it on a regular basis? Okay, and why are the rest of you so lazy? Oh, <laughs> uh, now, I, okay, should I go home? Um, actually, the writer to the Hebrews says that to the people he's writing to. He says, by this time, whatever he means, you've been a Christian five years, ten years, he says, you ought to be doing what? Teaching. He says, but you're lazy. You know, I'm looking at faces here. I know some of you have been believers longer than I've been alive. And if you're willing to give a summer maybe or three weeks or something, you could go to Africa or Latin America, and they'd love to have you teach them something about the Bible, about living a Christian life, a Christian marriage, Christian parenting. They'd welcome that. That's what, and that's what makes... Mission so exciting because people are hungry for what you've been taking. You've been you just you've been known for decades. What you've known for decades. All right, let me keep throwing stuff at you here. All right, I don't know how well you can read that. Probably not too well. Um, but once again, um, this is about international students. And again, the BFC has Walt and Sue Johnson up there at Penn State who are reaching out to international students. Because these international students come here, get a great education, and then what? They usually go back to their countries with many of them in places you and I can't go or you can't get a missionary visa. But this, um, the 75% that you see in the yellow there of international students will never enter an American home. And 85% will return to their home country never having experienced a meaningful relationship with a believer. Isn't that sad? You know, the gospel itself is God's great hospitality. You know, the book, the, the Bible ends with hospitality. The spirit and the bride say, what? Come. What do we say when we look at neighbors? 
Now, again, I'm going to probably upset some people. Are you ready for this? I'm just warning you about these things. Okay, you know, there's been a lot of um, people upset about drag queens going to libraries and influence the children of our communities. Well, in one sense, you have to admire them because are they asking straight people to come to their building in order to come to their building, you have to dress like them and talk like them and act like them? Are they asking that? No, what are they doing? They're taking their gospel, however perverted it is, and what are they doing with it? They're taking it to the community. What does that sound like? Go into all the world, and What are we doing? You know, those, where they go is the libraries. They've always been open. How many have heard of the C.S. Lewis series, The Chronicles of Narnia? Sure. Why couldn't Christians have been doing that in the local libraries? You know, we'll have a children's story hour, and we'll just... For the summer, we'll read Chronicles and Arnica to whoever will come. See, you see what I'm saying, gang? We, there's just a mindset that has to change if we're going to see the gospel reach. Here's, here's, a, here's a true story for you. Ever heard of this guy? All right, have you ever been to Sunday school? Well, then you know this guy, okay? In the 1760s, in England, is the Industrial Revolution. Children are working 12 hours a day, six days a week in the factories. Children. This guy owns a newspaper. He's walking along the street one day. And he used to visit the prisons, too, to do ministry in the prisons. And he realized that a lot of the prisoners are there because they were the parents of these kids, and these parents are, they just really don't care. They're drunk, whatever. And he says, you see, look at these kids, because here's what happens. On Sunday because England was a Christian country, you have the day off. So here's all these kids working 12 hours a day, six days a week. On Sunday, what do they do? They run around the community and cause problems. <laughs> they called them, they called these kids, as it says here, the white slaves of England. Or street devils, they used to call them that too. Just getting into trouble. So Robert Rakes looks at this situation with these kids and he says, hmm, what could we do about this? What do they need, these kids? Well, if they're in factories, are they going to school? No. Ah, let's start school on Sunday. Now, some people weren't too happy about that because that's the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. (laughs) But missions trumps that. As Jesus even said when he would heal somebody in the synagogue and the Pharisees got all upset on Sunday that he's doing good, right? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Robert Rake says, okay, here's what we'll do. On Sunday morning, we'll have school. Of course, not in a church. But then on the afternoon, we'll have catechism. We'll have lunch. We'll give them lunch, and then we'll have catechism, and then they go home. So we'll have them from 10 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon. He called it Sunday, you guessed it, school, because it was school on Sunday. Do you know Even the secular authorities of his day recognized the dramatic change that happened in England because of the starting of Sunday schools. Within his lifetime, 4,000 were started. John Wesley said that was the biggest change in England that he thinks ever happened even since William the Conqueror, which means 700 years. There's a need, in other words. The man saw the need, and he didn't say, look at these kids, how terrible that is. They're ruining our community. 
He said, how do we reach this unreached people group, these kids who work in these factories? And he, he met that need. Any volunteers? Where is there a need? You, if, you, if you let God lead you, it, it just couldn't be any more exciting than that. And he will. He'll show you. Um, this is New York City, all these different people groups in New York City, because again, you have these groups that are in un, unreached groups that are in areas Westerners can't go. So what does God do? He brings them here. He brings the people who you can't get the gospel to them. He brings them to where people have the gospel. And this is true all over this country. I, I, could, I could throw a lot of stats at you here about New York, about Detroit, Kansas City. There's so many Sikhs in Kansas City, it's unbelievable. You know, that's the Muslim-Hindu combination. All right. Well, and now some of the stuff that's happening today is really exciting. The online evangelism, you know, what's easier to do? Get on a plane or, or click on a mouse? There's so much happening. Um, I was at this convention down in Florida a, few, a couple of weeks ago with 1,000 people from around the world, top missionaries doing all uh, this amazing work. And I, I, I went to a workshop. They had 70 workshops. And I'm listening to these young Korean men and women, Koreans, 20s and 30s, and how they are reaching unreached groups through the Internet. Fascinating. Social networking, availability of information, gaming rooms. They're using gaming to reach people who otherwise you'd never reach with the gospel. And then there's this outfit called Indigenous. That's the Korean folks. Um, and then we've got the Jesus film, which is still going strong, and it's covering 95%, but it's, it still needs to get to some places. It hasn't been yet. But again, I'm, I'm excited about all this stuff, but I have to remember that there's still people who don't like, don't like the gospel. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than the previous 19th centuries combined. It's not all roses out there. And every 24 hours, 480 believers are martyred for their faith in Christ. You know, and I think I have problems. And the Voice of the Martyrs is a, is a great magazine to get, but they also sponsor the International Day of Prayer, which is coming up in November, believe it or not. You could do that here. But again, remember what you said about the gates of hell? Now, this is fascinating, especially given what's happening in the news but look what's been happening in Iran. In 1979, there were 500 known followers of Christ. In 2008, over 1 million, and now it's estimated there may be 3 or 4 million. In Iran, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Our God is on the move. He's always on mission. Those of us who want to walk with him would have to say, I need to be on mission too and know what he's doing and get in step with that. And then this, is Hamas in the news these days? Yeah, but here's a fellow... His father was a leader in Hamas and is still a leader in Hamas. This is a guy that left it and got saved and now is preaching the gospel. What can God do, right? We should be excited that he's still able to do these kinds of things. We should have that kind of vision that doesn't just get all settled into what I can get here and now for the nice American dream. This is what God is doing around the world. Yeah, it's a mystery, but what's my partnership? Right? Well, we should rejoice in God's mission and nature. Everybody say rejoice. Now say it like you mean it. Okay, all right. You just sang about it, right? Didn't you? Okay, all right. Uh, and but we need to repent of our indifference to his glory. Because really, again, this is what it's about. It's not about men moving and going and taking the gospel. The most important aspect of it is they do that because they're seeking to glorify God and whatever can happen. 
through their efforts. And then realign my time, talent, and treasure with the gospel. Time to read and pray. I've recommended books. I can recommend a whole, whole lot more. And to pray that God send forward more laborers and ask God, what, what would you want me to do, even locally, like Robert Rakes? Where's the need? I was encouraged. Dan was telling, Pastor Dan was telling me about your food pantry, you know, and how you're ministering to that people group uh, through that uh, agency. Um, your talent. I, we had an elder in our church in Virginia when I was a pastor down there. He, he got four weeks vacation. He, would t- he was an accountant, CPA. He would take one week every summer out of his vacation time and go to a, a third world country to do accounting for any Christian agency that needed it. And he, he'd come back transformed because of that. And I would say, if you can get out of this country for any reason, right, and get to where the people are preaching the gospel or encountering difficulties, whatever, get out. Right? No, make the trip. Let Open yourself up to God moving you on to see the world as he sees it. Tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. People groups. And then treasure. Um, that little picture there. How much, is, how much out of the budget of churches in America is given towards getting the gospel to the unreached? Half a penny. We need to do better than that. Because even as we read, thank you for the scripture, how can they preach unless they are sent? And if they're not funded, they can't get sent. And now again, it's not just the West to the rest. There are so many wonderful, as I showed you, missionaries from other countries that are the fruit of missions from a century ago. They're going also. In fact, in the Arab world, they welcome... I met a guy down there in Orlando at this conference. His whole ministry is getting Latin Americans to go to Muslim countries because in Muslim countries, they welcome Latin Americans. So they need the support to be able to do that. Okay, well, I'm going to close. Probably should have closed a while back, but I will, I will close with this, okay? This is from Robert Rakes, reflecting on all that God did to starting the Sunday schools. If the glory of God, see what he has to say? If the glory of God be promoted, and even the smallest degree, society must reap some benefit, not just individuals. If the good seed be sown in the mind at an early period of human life, meaning children, though it shows itself not again for many years, it may please God at some future period to cause it to spring up and to bring forth a plentiful harvest. The world marches forth on the feet of little children. What's next, Dan? Should I pray? Or is, is, oh, go right. Okay. All right. Father, thank you for your people that you have redeemed. Thank you for bringing us here this morning to hear about your eternal plan before the foundation of the world that you kept secret for a while, partly revealed through Israel, Israel, but now it's going to the ends of the earth. I pray, Lord, that everyone here could find a way by your spirit to be making that happen. Lord, let us all hear from you like we need to hear from you in this regard. Because we know that around the throne someday, the efforts we make will cause the Lamb to be praised by all peoples, some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. I pray for Trinity Bible Fellowship Church, Lord, that even a year from now they can look back on and see what you did when people opened themselves up to letting them become more laborers in your harvest in some way. In Jesus' name, amen.